I'd like for you to open your Bibles to John chapter 6. And as you're finding this, let me kind of remind you also where we were last Sunday and kind of connect. We saw last Sunday the great peak experiences that we have as human beings um, are often considered kind of mountaintop experiences. That's, that's kind of the language we can use, or, or psychologists would call it peak experiences, experiences that truly have impact on life in such a way that, that what happens after is different from what happened before. And I think the Bible, when it places, as we saw uh, clearly last Sunday, so many, if not by far the most of, of the major event uh, in, in Scripture on mountain settings, that this not only describes where it happened, it also is there with symbolic power to kind of express the significance of these kinds of things. And so, um, as we did last Sunday, also this Sunday, uh, I'd like to read to you another event that happened on a mountain. And notice not only the setting that it was there, but the symbolic power uh, of having the setting there. Chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. And the Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for such a great crowd like this? He asked only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months of wages would not be enough, uh, would not buy enough bread for each one to have a little. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There were plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who have eaten. It's an intriguing story, is it not? We've, we find ourselves on the east side of the Sea of Galilee where the mountains that come up uh, are what we today call the Golan Heights. These are 
majestic hills, if you will, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you may have been there. I have been there. I stood there and looked with amazement with this story in mind. The group that, that followed Jesus had likely been with him in Tiberias. And then as he had gotten on the boat and to sail to the other side, they would have walked northway around the lake to get to the hills on the east side or to the mountain on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And here they stood. Symbolically, if you will, and I want to highlight this because I think it has, has tremendous power. A group of, of it says, 5,000 men. If, if that was a normal crowd with that, that would be something like fifteen to 20,000 people in total. And he placed himself there. And those who were with him and who came up there with him now were able to look out. When you stand on the Golan Heights and look out, you will not only see the whole Sea of Galilee there, but you will see the bread basket of all of Israel, the low fertile lands that stretches as far as the eye can see. This is a place where God's goodness, this is a place is, is visible. This is a place where all of the crop, so to speak, that feeds Israel is growing. And so now... As they stand there with Jesus on these desolate, isolated kind of place. There's nothing there, really, when you're in the Golan Heights. But you can see everything from there. All the riches, all the fruitfulness that any person could possibly ever desire. Truly, they were on a mountaintop. Of possibilities. So let's see if we can get there with them, friends. Mark, the gospel of Mark will tell the same story as, as John is, is doing here and, and in a little bit of different way. And he will highlight some things that, that John seems to have, have left out. But that help us to see really what is going on. And some of the setting that, that we need to capture with this to not oversee and overlook some of the, the very important things that are there. Mark says that when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. And that expression is a well-known expression from Old Testament scriptures. And all those who heard that, likely their minds were immediately led to where that story or where that expression was found. When Moses was standing before the Lord and he was asking the Lord for someone to follow him, to lead the people. Maybe I can read the story for you, just a, a verse or two from there. Moses said to the Lord, this is in Numbers chapter 27, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that, hear this, the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And so the Lord said to Moses, take 
Joshua or Yeshua, as his name would be pronounced in Hebrew. He appointed Joshua or Joshua. And it was Joshua who took God's people and led them out of the desert into the promised land, into this new land of amazing opportunities, if you will. And now, this crowd of people, large crowd as it was, now stood on this desolate mountain. And who did they see in front of them? They meet the true Joshua, or as you may say, Jeshua, or the one that we in English call Jesus. The one that God has appointed to be a shepherd unto his people and lead them out of the desert into that land that flows with milk and honey. The place where God has for them. Are you hearing this, friends? Go up to that mountain alone and the only thing you'll find is a desolation and isolation of the high plains. You hear me? Or go up there with Jesus. And what used to be desert and desolation and isolation now turns into the high points faith and opportunity. Jesus was the shepherd that God had appointed to lead his people. So I want you to hear this. Regardless of who you are, regardless of of what happened just this week before you got here, if you're here today, and if you sense that your life to some extent, at least in some areas, have been led or laid desert, that impossibility rather than Possibility is what characterizes your life, that rootlessness and confusion rather than rootedness and confidence is what characterizes your life. This story, friends, is for you in the most powerful way that we can even imagine, I think. The crowd got up there And I want you to follow them. Get up on that mountain with these people and sit at Jesus' feet and know and notice what is happening right here. Look back in the text and, and just consider this. The story opens with this almost incredible focus on the impossible nature of the situation. This can't happen. 15, 20,000 people, if that's the number, all hungry, no stores around. What on God's globe are they going to do? Even to buy the food, there wouldn't be enough money. It would be more than 200 denarius. That's more than eight months of wages 
for a normal family. And even if there had been a store, even if they had had that kind of money, there would certainly not be enough food to satisfy that many people in a nearby store. Look at this, friends. You have to wonder about this. I don't know how, how you, you know, if you're married like me, you know, with Mrs. Practical. You have to wonder, what, what are they thinking? If, if they have walked from Tiberias on the north side of the shore to the east side of the shore, that certainly would not have been an impossibly long walk that could do that. But it would have been sufficiently far that if you had had one plus one is two, you would realize, I'd get hungry. This is somewhat of a stretch to walk, right? And then I had to walk back, and I have to sit there with that. But apparently, no one, at least not that we know, thought that far. Except this wonderful mother. She was saying, just envision this, Samuel or Saul or Joseph, whatever his name was, I'd love for you to run with the crowd over to hear the prophet wherever they find him. Just run with them. But I, I want to make sure you have something to eat. So, so don't, just wait. I'll make you a little lunch pill, right? Put some loaves in there and, and some fish. That would be my mother too, Right? Maybe she even said, you know, I'll put an extra loaf in there. That'll be someone you can share with. But the rest of these guys, the rest of these people have put themselves in a rather impossible situation. Was this Jesus' fault? Not hardly. But if you think about it in, in principle terms, this is not all that different from Situations we ourselves sometimes place ourselves in. Of course, the reasons and the specifics of these kind of situations are different from person to person, from time to time, and from situation to situation. But we will all find ourselves sometimes in what looks as an impossible situation. If you try to deny that, you need to rethink your thinking. I think only flippant and superficial people refuse that such would be the case. Just look at statistics. Look at statistics, just about any kind. Look at of the number of people who terminate their lives because they feel the situation they're in is so impossible they can't see any way out. Think of divorce statistics and, and think of all the times when people are thinking there is no way that there's a way out of this other than to end it. Look through just about all things and, and you'll realize that it is pretty common for, for people, even in a, a wonderful, civilized, uh, wealthy place like ours, there's all the opportunities in the world for people to feel like they're in an impossible 
situation. And this is the time, friends, when we need to be aware of that mountain of faith or of possibilities where you could stand with Jesus and look out and see fertile, beautiful areas. Meet the one who leads people out of the desert into the promised place. The people who sat there then, just imagine with me here, friends, this is almost unimaginable not to envision. When they see Jesus take five loaves and two fishes and break them apart and feed the crowd with this, how could they not think back on the Lord God himself who took his people out of Egypt, brought them through the desert, and when they were without, he will let manna and quail come down and feed his people. Amazing. Now, Jesus Christ is the one who is giving that kind of presence of God in their life, allowing them to see how God, through his son, Jesus Christ, brought them away and out of their impossible situation and placed them right there where they were in contact with the possibilities of a life in God's presence. Now, friend, is that not what you need? I'm really not asking this as a rhetorical question. I want you to answer that. You may answer in your own mind. But this is a real question of life, friends. We're not playing games here, right? This is our lives. Is that not really what we want and need? Do you not need to meet the one, either for the first time or for the next time, who will take you up on that mountain where you see all this fruitfulness, where you recognize that although you may right now be placed in this desolate and isolated area, you can see, and he lets you see where to go. We need to meet him whose blessings brings us from what could seem as an impossible situation to renewed possibilities. I know some of you feel like you are right now in that area where God has led you to the possibility, but you will know someone who will need this testimony this week if you're faithful, friends, yes? You need to tell this. Notice how that blessing is brought. It begins with Jesus inquiring one of the disciples. And he's asking, what do you think we ought to do? You got any suggestions? Can you solve that problem we we face right now? 
And no sooner had he said it until the word kind of spit out of Philip's mouth. No, we can't. It's just impossible. It can't happen. We do not have the ability to handle this. Even eight months worth of money will not be sufficient to handle this. And then Andrew comes. He said, I found a little boy. He's got two little fish and five little pieces of bread. I know that's not much. And in, in, in light of how many we are, this is ridiculous, I know, but here it is. Are you seeing that glimmer of faith? Still full of doubt that the little thing that he had to give Jesus was nothing compared to the majestic troubles of the situation. But friends, that's how you find the deepest character of faith. Doubting that the little that we have is worth anything in comparison with the big issues around us, we still take the little we have and place it at Jesus' feet on that mountain of faith or possibilities. The picture we get of Andrew right here is that one at the same time an example of how faith acts and reacts. And it's a prototype of a disciple who lives on that mountain of possibility. You know, all of us, I think, if we're honest, we live in that tension between Philip and Andrew. Philip, who is so blinded by all the incumbrable kind of obstacles that are in front of him. And then Andrew, who in spite of the odds, chose to bring whatever little he has to the Lord. The question is not have we ever thought like Philip. Yes, we do, if we're honest. But the question is, what finds victory in our lives? The attitude of Philip or the faith of Andrew? Again, this is a real question. The Jesus who met that crowd on that mountainside now about 2,000 years ago, is the same as the one who will meet you today. Yesterday, today, and forever. The same. The only thing he asks for is your willingness to bring him what you have. Even if it's 
lousy two little fish and five little breads. And now what happens? Look, this is the amazing part here. Andrew's act of faith and his willingness to kind of place it before Jesus here becomes instant blessing, even life-giving to everybody right there. Did you notice this? Can I talk to you for a moment, church? Both as a church, First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, but, but also to you as individuals here in the church. Most of us who are here today, by far most of us, have each given, given a confession, a personal confession, that we, I, will live a life of faith with Jesus being my Lord. You have recognized that being a disciple of Jesus cannot be reduced to simply a couple of sentences that you say whenever that's appropriate. Theoretical and even theologically true and right as they may be, a life with Jesus as Lord is a life that we surrender to. It's not without reason, friends, that the Bible is replete with announcements and evidence that Jesus is Lord, someone you follow. It is not coincidental that when you stand in the water of baptism, whether you're speaking it out in your own words or you just say answering yes to a question that you confirm and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The earliest Christian confession that we have. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? You stood right there and you said, yes, he is my Lord. Do you remember? Do you remember that promise? That covenant? that you entered with Jesus. The text here about the mountaintop possibilities places all of this in sharp relief or puts it in focus, if you will. And it does so with a sentence that could be read almost like an aside, and I highlighted it a little bit when I read it out loud, just changed the words a little bit so you would notice it. It could read almost like an aside or even a subordinate clause in this text. But really, it may be at the very center of what's going on with this. Verse 6. He asks this only to test him because he already knew what he would do. Are you hearing this? You know, I read this and I'm thinking, what would have happened if that was my faith that had been tested like this? How would I have reacted? See, when God puts our faith to test, he's checking the quality of our surrender. He's checking on the willingness for us to follow to make sense of calling him Lord. 
There are so many people today, unfortunately, whose confession or whose life in spite of their confession maybe even is much more like Philip. But friends, the blessings and even the life-giving quality, if you will, that you find on the mountain of possibilities unfolds through those who, like Andrew, brings the little that they have to him. And what does Jesus do? He gives thanks, the Bible says. He takes it and adds the blessing. And if you prayed the prayer, which is most likely that it's a common prayer that Jews pray when they break bread, it would have sounded like this. Blessed is you, or blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. It's not a bad prayer for you to pray at the table either, is it? Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Now notice, he's not blessing the bread. He's blessing God. His focus is not on the bread, but on the one who has all the power who is the only one who can transform that impossible situation into a life-giving situation. This is powerful when you think about it. Learn from that, dear friends. Philip was just completely absorbed by the impossible nature of what they faced. Looking down, saying, See all these people, there's no way. Jesus looked up, asked for blessing and for power to see the situation changed. If you're still sitting here thinking, I'm not sure how this relates specifically to my situation, notice this. What earlier was nothing What seemed to be almost ridiculous when it was placed in Jesus' hand now proves to be sufficient for all. More than that, the leftovers, after everybody had had what they wanted, was more than what they began with. It was almost a fulfillment of what the old prophet had said, Jeremiah, when he said, I will satisfy my people with abundance. You know, there are people who are trying to find also more symbolic power in this, and, and they've seen in the 12 baskets that this is a way of God to express to all of Israel there will be sufficient for each of the tribe. And later on when Jesus is, is feeding 4,000, there's seven kind of baskets left, left over, that that was a way of expressing that there will be sufficient to all seven continents of the globe. We don't know that that, whether that was so or not. 
It is intriguing. But it really changes nothing about what we have said. The people who meet Jesus on that mountain of faith or that mountain of possibilities will experience that when you come to him, he will be sufficient for whatever needs that you may have. When you meet him, you will discover that life is not only given to you, but to those around you. Oh my, how easy we can read little texts like this and just conclude, I heard it before, let's move on and not see the depth and the wonder of the one who calls you to be his and says, why don't you follow me up to that mountain of possibility? And I'll stand there and I'll show you the beauty and the glory of what I have for you. Father, I ask for everyone here, those to whom they have been there, they sit there at the moment, but also those who are just sitting there looking down, seeing desolation all around them, even if they have been taken to high places. Father, would you take these words? Would you use them in our hearts? May we know, Father, that only disciples like Andrew, who brings this impossibly small thing to you, will recognize the glory and the blessing and the life power there is in full surrender to the one God himself appointed to bring us out of desolation and isolation and into this land that flows with his blessings and his grace. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing, friends, and hymn of invitation, but I, I am going to ask you to respond. Nothing is really worse than if you sense God has moved you or touched you in the heart, you just say, oh, that will die down later on. Take this time, grab someone's hand, come alone, kneel in front. If you need to talk to someone about the Lord in any way, we'll be here wanting to do that. If you're not bold enough, if you don't feel like I can do this, grab someone after the church. Most important thing is not when and how, but that you do it.